nine years ago this week, Pillar took a stressful step in its own life. At the time, it was describing itself as a dying congregation. There weren't that many people on a Sunday morning. They were struggling to pay their own bills. Most of its energy was devoted to its own survival. So through the faithful leadership of Pastor Chris DeVos, through a few tears and a whole lot of prayers, they decided to try something different. They decided to try something new. We closed sort of quietly one Sunday, only to reopen the following Sunday, a duly affiliated congregation of two conflicted denominations, we say a church for the city, committed to reconciling divisions and raising up leaders, redeeming the city and renewing the church. And as God would have it, as Jesus would intend, something new started happening. A renewal took place. Jesus, who said, behold, I'm making all things new, began to exact his purposes on our lives. So for the next few weeks, we're going to gather around that claim. Behold, I'm making all things new. Not only just to celebrate something that happened nine years ago, but rather because it remains the cry of our hearts. God, do something new. Jesus, make it new. As thousands wait at an airport in Afghanistan while bombs explode, wondering if their waiting is in vain, God, do something new as a mutating virus continues to wreak its havoc on our lives, leaving the wreckage of human relationship in its wake. God, do something new as School administrators and local health officials doing their jobs the best they can get caught in the backlash of a political animosity they never intended to address, while parents doing the best they can to raise their kids in love feel like everything's out of their control. Doesn't it seem like it's out of control? God, do something new. So for the next few weeks, we're going to gather around the great claim of the gospel, behold, I'm making all things new, not just a way of expressing gratitude for what God did nine years ago here, but as a way of giving voice to our heart's cry now, God, do something new. Anybody in need of something new behind the lens that I'm looking at through a screen on your TV, do you need God to do something new? I want you to listen with me to an earth-shattering, and I mean that literally, earth-shattering story of God doing something new. It's in the Gospel of John. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but rather to God's glory, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Accordingly, though he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus when he received word that Lazarus was ill, 
He stayed in the place where he was for two days longer. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. Those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Then he said to them, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I must go and awaken him. And they said, if he's only sleeping, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, was speaking of his death, not merely referring to sleep. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now let us go. And Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. When they came near the village, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem some two miles journey, so many of the Jews had already come to Mary and to Martha to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary stayed in the house, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know even now, if you ask God, he will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she returned to Mary and told her privately, the teacher is coming and is calling for you. So Mary got up quickly and went to meet him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that she got up quickly and they were following her thinking she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she began to weep. And the Jews who were consoling her weeped with her. And when Jesus saw them weeping, he was disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. When he came to the tomb, some said, see how he loved him. But others said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? So when he came to the tomb again, deeply distressed, he saw that the, the tomb was a cave and there was a stone laying against it. He said, 
removed the stone, and Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, there's, there's a stench. He's already been dead for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And Jesus, looking upwards, said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the crowd that is near me, that they may believe that you sent me. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, his face covered in a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 11 through verse 44. If you want to find it in a Bible with you or the smartphone on you, wow. Talk about God doing something new. Lazarus, who had died, now raised from the dead, announcing not something about Lazarus' life and death, but rather about the God who does the new, about Jesus, who stands against the backdrop of death's darkness, shouting, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Lazarus' death and life is not a story about Lazarus, but rather about a God who does the new, who is in need of something new. So for two weeks, we're going to hang with Lazarus, hang tight, in hopes that our hearts might be awakened and our spirits might be attuned to the God of the new. For our purposes today, the conditions for the new include heartache, honesty, prayer, and a God who cares. If you're the note-taking type, those would be the words to write down. Heartache, honesty, prayer, and a God who cares. How heartbreaking it must have been for Martha and for her sister, Mary, to sit at the side of their dying brother, to hear the gurgle in his lungs, to see the yellow on his skin, to, to watch his body thinning. Who knows? Who knows what it was that took him, what illness it was? Was it, was it a sudden, quick illness? Like so many of the tragedies we see, was it a laborious illness? And finally, as a last-ditch effort, they run to Jesus to, for help? Who knows what the illness was? All we seem to need to know, according to John's gospel, now there was a certain man who was ill. And then John goes on five times in six verses to say the same thing, ill, ill, ill. In other words, sick, broken, twisted, sad. Now this story isn't about Lazarus. It's about the God who does the new thing. So it seems to my mind this undefined illness of Lazarus gives us permission to name all of the ways our hearts ache and our lives might be defined as sick, sad, broken, ill. Now, a certain man was ill. You've seen the picture, here, here, here it is if you haven't, of the infant 
being handed up and over a wall at an airport by parents searching for freedom, actually more likely just trying to keep the little one alive while the world cries out, broken. Or our friends in Nigeria, Christy and so many others, here are some pictures Christy sent this week, running for their lives from a violence of those who are trying to take their lives, and we cry with her, broken. Or the public animosity swirling in our country that's actually turned its ugly head on our community, and we cry, broken. And that's the stuff on the news, that's the stuff on social media, Twitter and Facebook, or maybe in your email. What about the stuff you don't want to talk about? And no one knows about, but you stay awake at night thinking about, and all you can think is broken. Now, a certain man was ill. The conditions for God to do something new include heartache. That's always been the way it was. Before God even spoke the world into existence, it was described as formless, void, darkness. And when God, before God gave Noah the ark, the world was described as the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth. And, and before God gave Naomi and Ruth a home, they were described as bitter. And before Daniel experienced God's presence, he was in the lion's den. And before the incarnation of God, through Jesus Christ, John said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The conditions for God to do new include heartache. I was sitting on the lawn Thursday morning. I sit on the lawn a lot on those Adirondack chairs. My friend Scott Bumgardner grabbing a cup of coffee at the coffee shop across the street, LJ's, saw me sitting there, made his way over to say hi. It was a beautiful morning, sun rising, the beautiful landscape of our front lawn as downtown Holland comes to life. He sat next to me. We exchanged the pleasantries that you do. And I don't know what triggered us, but we started talking about the pain. Four widows in our congregation in the last several months grieving the death of their husbands. A shooting on a South Haven pier, a drowning near Big Red. Public meetings turned scandalous. I said, yeah. Anyway, I'm working on a sermon about a God who does a new thing. And then Scott paused and we sat silently and he said, you know, actually... It's not a new thing. God has been up to this forever. A certain man was ill is not the introduction to a sad story about someone's dying, but rather opening our hearts to the God who's always doing something new. That's God's heart. That's God's intentions. That's why Jesus came, died, and rose again for the new. And our Acknowledging the heartbreak is not to lead us to despair, but rather to anticipate God doing new again, God doing new here, God doing new for you. The conditions for new include heartache and honesty, a heartache that is given an honest expression. Jesus comes to town. Martha hears about it. She runs to him. Lord, if you had been here in honest prayer, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
And then Mary, just a few minutes later, I'm guessing, just a few minutes later, she runs out too. She cries too. She says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you dare pray so honestly? Sometimes I wonder if our reverence for the big God, the transcendent God, reduces our prayers to a dishonest piety. We, we sanitize and sterilize our prayers to make them appropriate, cleaned up enough for God. But Mary and Martha give us permission to speak a different way. Lord, if you had been here. And then it takes a different turn, but it's the same sort of honesty. That the Pharisees consoling, grieving, weeping with Mary and with Martha say, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Have you ever dared to say, Could you not have helped? Could you not have kept? Could you not have done it, God? Could you not have done it for my child? Could you not have done it for my spouse? Could you not have done it for my parent? Could you not have done it for me? Could you not have done it, God? I'm concerned that we reduce our prayer life to a dishonest piety that's filled with platitudes but never has room for honesty. And then a couple of different things tend to happen. We present a faith in our lives that can't hold the pain and so gets laughed at by a watching world, or we ourselves dismiss the faith because there's not a room large enough for our heart's ache, or we take it out on other people. See Facebook, see the local school board meeting, see the anonymous email, see the road rage, see the guy in the Drop off lane at the local school on Wednesday morning. We take it out on other people. But what if we have a place to go with our heartache? What if there's a God who's big enough to handle our pain? Lord, if you had been here, could not you have done something? I'm not naive enough to think that if we just throw it at God, it'll magically disappear in our lives. But I do wonder if we direct it towards God, we might comport ourselves differently in the world. The conditions for new include a heartache that gets expressed honestly. Isn't that the way of the psalmist? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Isn't that the way of Jesus? My God, my God, why? Heartache and honesty and prayer. This whole Lazarus exchange is one big long prayer if you're willing to see it that way. People running to Jesus, people speaking to Jesus, people waiting on Jesus, people kneeling before Jesus, people listening to Jesus. Sounds an awful lot to me like prayer. They send prayer messages. Lord, he whom you love is ill. They fall to the ground on their faces. Lord, if you had been here. They, they pray exhausted. Lord, there's already a stench. He's been dead for days. And all of us, always ought to cultivate a life of prayer. Of course, the Apostle Paul says pray without ceasing, and a lot of us hardly pray at all. But I'm less interested now in our prayer lives and rather in a different one who prays, a different prayer. Jesus himself prays. He, he turned his face upwards and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard my prayers. I know that you always hear me. I'm saying this now for the crowd that's standing near me, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus Christ is the one who prays. Jesus Christ intercedes for us. What about a God who prays for you? 
Isn't that what Romans promises? We don't know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with, intercedes with sighs too deep for words or in a different place. Christ Jesus died, yes, was raised, is seated at the right hand of the Father, indeed intercedes for us. Jesus Christ prays. All of us always, of course, ought to cultivate a life of prayer. Look at so many of the books on my shelves about prayer. Prayer by Tim Keller. Prayer by Richard Foster. Public Prayer by Harry Emerson Fosdick. Answering God by Eugene Peterson. I recommend them all. But the most important lesson I can give you on prayer, write it down, hold it, claim it, have it, is this. Jesus prays for you. The God who spoke the world into existence speaks on your behalf. Jesus Christ who leaned into the tomb and shouted at Lazarus, come out, kneels before the Father, and speaks on our behalf. Jesus Christ, who said, unbind him and let him go, speaks to the Father to set us free. Jesus Christ prays for you. Have you ever wondered why we begin our prayers, Dear Jesus? And then end them in Jesus' name? I mean, yeah, sure, obviously, on one level, of course, Jesus is the perfect expression of God, so he's the most accessible version of God we have. But on a different level, on another level, we speak the name Jesus in our prayers because Jesus brings our heart's ache into the divine and offers it before the throne room of God. So dear Jesus, in Jesus' name, when you don't know what to say and you don't know how to pray and the world seems out of control, Jesus! He lift his head upwards and said, Father, the conditions for new include heartache and honesty, prayer, and a God who cares, the shortest verse in the entire Bible. You heard it, you have it, here it is. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Or in my translation, and Jesus began to weep. What kind of a God is this? What kind of a God is this that cries? The eternal one who holds the whole world in his hands weeps? I mean, check this out. Jesus orchestrated the entire scene. Jesus sort of planned it out. He waited two days so that this very thing would happen, so that God would be glorified. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what he would accomplish. And yet, he loves and cares and feels so deeply, he cries still. He cries anyway. When the heartache of our lives give an honest expression in prayer, received by the Father through the Son, Jesus himself weeps. That's a God who cares. Uh, this past week, Kristen and I brought our sweet, precious, to my mind, tiny little Ava to her first day of school all day, every day. It's called transitional kindergarten. She had her yellow dress on and her little 
piggy tails and a little sign on the porch for the picture first grade of TK. She was just like her sister's big going to school. We, we drove her to that big, huge building with those big, huge, dark hallways and those big, huge people. We held her hand in the long line and we hugged her and we prayed and we thanked her teachers, which is our way of saying, you mess with her, we'll mess with you. And we stood on our tippy toes as she made her way into the building and our eyes filling with tears and we cried. She's the fourth one. And we cried. And then we went home and threw a party because they're all in school all day. Just kidding. If that's how Kristen and I would comport ourselves when our child goes through the natural progression of development, how much more would the eternal God who sent his son into the world also carry our hearts ache and weep with us? And Jesus began to weep. And his weeping would turn to walking when he walked his way to Jerusalem, when they placed the cross on his shoulders and he walked it to the hill where they pinned his shoulders to it, still carrying the weight of the world, and he breathed his last, redemption's great exhale, and he went to the grave and he rose up in resurrection so that you and I might know something new. His weeping turned to walking, and his walking became dying, and his dying became rising to announce to a watching, waiting, longing world, behold, I'm making all things new. So here's what I want us to do. I don't do this very often. I hope you're fine doing it with me now. I want you to find your phone or maybe your journal or a piece of paper, and I want you to write down your heart's ache. What makes your heart break? You don't have to think about it too long. What is heavy on your heart? I want you to give it honest expression. I want you to offer it to the one who prays, to the God who cares. And then we're going to come to the table. I want you to bring it with you to the table. Bring it to the table to the God who says, Behold, I'm making all things new. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.